Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's great to see you this morning. Would you please find your Bibles and turn in them to 1 John? Small little book in the back of your New Testament. We finally reached chapter 4 this summer, and uh, the summer's almost over, but we're not done with 1 John yet. 1 John chapter 4 in your Bibles today. I just want to remind you, because I haven't in probably the last month or so, the theme of 1 John. The theme of 1 John is Christians are to be in fellowship with God and Jesus and other Christians, but not with the world. The Christians are to be in fellowship with God, with Jesus and other believers, but not with people who are not Christians. And so the title for today is Three Tests of Fellowship with God. Three Tests of Fellowship with God. And the reason that I call it that is because of my adventures when I was in the sixth grade. In the sixth grade, I took a school overnight trip that was epic. We went to Sacramento. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Now, that doesn't sound great today, but when you were a kid and I got to ride on a tour bus, that was epic. I got to watch movies on the bus riding. I got to stay in a motel room with other friends of mine. It was unbelievable. And of course, this trip to Sacramento, we went and visited the state capitol and took the tour and we went to various museums and we ended up at this place. Have you ever been to Sutter's Mill? Who's been to Sutter's Mill? Uh, a few people, the little tourist trap now. But tour, but Back then, it wasn't a tourist trap, not when I was in sixth grade, but when it was originally built, Sutter's Mill was the place where they first discovered gold that caused the, the rush to California called the Gold Rush. And that's why they called the 1849ers. That's what the football team is called, the 49ers. It was in 1849, the middle of the 1800s, when they discovered gold, and people flocked from all around the United States. People flocked to California from all around the world. Everybody was rushing to California so that they could yell, Eureka! It's just a Greek word. It means, I have found it. Now, that sounds pretty boring, and so it's way better to yell, Eureka! And that's what a treasure hunter was looking for. They wanted to yell, Eureka, because they had struck it rich. But the problem with this was everybody who was flooding to California, they were all novices. They weren't metallurgists. They didn't know about the metal that they were hunting. They were novice miners that were flooding to California. And so they would find something that looked like gold, they would take it to the assay office, and they'd try to redeem it for money, and they would be told that it was worthless. And today, now we know it as fool's gold or iron pyrite. It's worthless. You can buy iron pyrite today on eBay. I looked it up. It used to be $9.99, but the prices have gone up for rocks, and so now it's $10.99 on eBay. And if you buy on eBay... If you buy some rocks on eBay, you're going to get them and you're going to feel like you got ripped off for that $10.99 because all you got was a bunch of worthless rocks. It's worthless. In California, all of the riverbeds have all these little gold flakes in them, and if you were to collect them all, they would still be worth nothing because it's iron pyrite, it's fool's gold, it's worthless. And so you have all of these novice miners looking for this stuff, but they didn't know what they were looking for, so they had to create tests 
in order to find out if it was real or not. So they had a couple of common tests to find out if it was iron pyrite or gold. The first one was the bite test. This is the one that you see in movies all the time, you know, when the miner finds something and he chomps down on it. And it's because gold is softer than a person's tooth. It's a little malleable. And iron pyrite is not. It's a rock. And so when you chomp down on it and it breaks your tooth, you find out that you're still poor and you have a broken tooth. <laughs> it's a pretty brutal way to find out you're poor. <clears throat> And of course, if you chomp down on it and it's a little malleable, your teeth soak in, then that means you've struck it rich. You could yell, Eureka! Another one of the tests, which is a lot better, is that if you could find a white rock or maybe a ceramic rock that's white and you drag that gold over it, the gold will make a yellowish streak, but the iron pyrite will make a greenish-black streak. And so then now you know. And so the miner would rely on these tests to authenticate the fact that they were wealthy and they have a future ahead of them, or they would use the test to prove that they are still just as poor as when they showed up. And spiritually speaking, Christians run into the exact same position or situation as those early 49ers did. When Christians are confronted with various Um, religious ideas, when they are confronted with various um, doctrines, various truths that exist in the world, they need to decide whether that is a true thing that's valuable or if that thing that they hear religiously is of no value at all. Because usually what you hear is said like with genuine intention. Um, It's purported to be true, maybe from a Christian radio station or from uh, some person, a Christian on YouTube or a Christian teacher that you have or a a, a friend that, that led you to Christ and they're telling you something. And so you get these religious messages all the time. And there needs to be some way to determine which ones are valuable and which ones are completely worthless. Well, this is the exact issue that these Christians are dealing with here in 1 John, and this is why 1 John was written. Because these Christians are newer Christians. They're new-ish Christians. Um, They hadn't been Christians for a very long time. They're novice Christians. I mean, Christianity was like not even 100 years old, maybe 70 years old at this point. For us, we have thousands of years of, of Christianity like built almost into our culture. It's built into our literature. It's built into the founding documents of our nation. And so we like have a, a, a little understanding of Christianity just even as we live in our culture. But here, Christianity is like brand new, and most of these people had not been Christians for 70 years. They just heard about the gospel, they'd just gotten saved, so they're novice Christians. So they had these false teachers then come in, and they were getting another message. And now, in retrospect, 2,000 years later, we can look back and say, well, that's a fool's message. It's a foolish gospel. And it had a lot to do with who Jesus was, that Jesus was a, was a created spirit, 
Um, that's effectively what the Gnostics were. One of the aspects, we've learned several of them, we'll learn several more about the Gnostics, but one of the key was about Jesus and that he was a created spirit, that he could not have been human, physical, that he was only a, a spirit. And so with this fool's message, compared to the message that they had always heard, these people needed some way to determine what was true and what wasn't. They needed some tests. And so today, John gives them like an axiom, a, a, a overarching statement that will give them an, an idea of how to determine if someone is genuinely in fellowship with God and you can fellowship with them, if the message that they're bringing is legitimate or it's not. And so first, I'm going to give it to you in like 2023 language, human language, and then we'll look at scripture, okay? But here's the axiom. This is the message that John brings these Christians if it's new, it's not true. That's the axiom. If it's new, it's not true. Now, I'm ta talking about if it's new to you. I'm talking it's new to the established understanding of Scripture. If it's new, it's not true. I'm not talking about some speaker who has got a great, eye, great way of communicating and he is able to highlight some nuance of an established biblical truth and you understand it in a new way. I'm not talking about that. If it's new, it's not true because that's often how heretics bring their, their, uh, their heresies into Christianity. I have a new message from the Lord. You'll hear that a lot. I have something new, something that you've never heard before. I have a new thing that you don't know, a new keys to unlock a new truth for you from God's word. I've learned how to count the consonants in scripture and I've counted all the vowels together and there's this new code that has been finally revealed that finally we know something new. We always want something new. But the axiom that John gives today is if it's new, it's not true. Because what had already been delivered by the apostles, what had already been delivered by Jesus and the apostles, that was enough. That was the truth. And John, he writes, um, he, he writes in, uh, in Revelation about anybody who adds to this truth of the apostles and Jesus, they are in grave danger of God's judgment. There's nothing new. If it's new, it's not true. Maybe another way to say this, if that one's not clicking, is truth is truth never changes. That'd be another way to say the same thing. Truth never changes. Truth is always the truth. Truth doesn't need to be updated because it's true. Truth doesn't need to be modern because it's true. Truth wasn't true back then, but is untrue. Truth is, is always true. Truth doesn't change. If it's new... It's not true. Like, for instance, the second page of the Bible, marriage is between one man and one woman for life. If you hear anything different than that, it's new, and it's not true. That's the axiom that, that John gives today. Page one of the Bible, <laughs> go back one more page, that God created the world, the universe, everything in it, in six literal 24-hour days. If you hear anything different than that, it's new, and it's not true. Yeah, I mean, now with science, we could tell that obviously God you know, used millions of years, and God could do whatever he wanted, and well, what if he did these things? If it's new, it's not. That's the axiom. 
If it's new, it's not true. Truth can't change. That sex between a man and a woman has always been within the confines of marriage. It's always been that way. That's page three. And so if you hear anything different, that sex could be outside of marriage, because, I mean, after all, it is 2023, Pastor. I mean, it's not in the dark ages anymore. It's new, and it's not true. This is the truth that, that John gives. We hear lots of things, you know, that, that, that now things are allowed that God didn't allow before. No, it's not true. Homosexuality has always been a sin that has befallen human beings, some of them, and Christ died on the cross to rescue us from that and all other sins. If you hear anything different than that, it's new. It's not true. Truth never changes. Now, if it's new to you, I'm not talking about that. Because all of us, at some point in time, have been new in our Christian faith. And so some of you have been maybe Christian maybe less than 10 years or less than 15 years. And so hopefully, when everyone comes to church on a Sunday morning, I work hard to try to do this some days, some weeks I fail, but I hope when everyone comes, they learn something. But the person who is new in their faith will learn something different than the person who has been a Christian for 30 years. And so if you come to Grace Community Church and you've been a Christian for the last 10 years and today you learn something that is new to you, that's great. But you just need to know that the person that has been a Christian for 30 years, they learned that truth 20 years ago. And so, yes, it might be new to you, but it's not new in the understanding of Scripture. That's what I'm talking about. If it's new to Scripture, if it's new to the uh, understanding of how God communicated and what He communicated, if it's new to that, it's not true. That's the axiom. Now, these Christians, it, it, we have to remember that these Christians here, sometimes we give them a hard time because we know everything that is all bound up in God's Word. They did not have a collated, um, put-together Bible that's on their phone and it can be read to them, and, and they, they knew exactly all what God's Word was. They were still actually determining whether these letters that they were getting, if they were even from God's Word or not. So they were in that, but they did have some things. Not everything was new to them. They knew the gospel. They knew the truth of the gospel. They knew the truth of who Jesus Christ is or was, that he's the Savior. They knew about their own sinfulness, that they then had a need of a Savior. They knew about salvation, that Jesus had died on the cross as a propitiation, a payment for their sin, and anyone has belief, faith in that Jesus, they'd be saved from that sin. They, they knew about God's Holy Spirit and the obedience that a, Christian life, that a Christian life would exemplify being filled with God's Holy Spirit. So they knew some of those things, but this was the first time that Christians had kind of start, started to receive this contrary message. And so they needed some sort of like tests to determine, is this legitimate or is this not? So let's read our passage today and uh, we'll look at it. 1 John chapter 4, we're studying six verses today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, 
of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, so notice that we're talking a lot about spirits, the spirit, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And there's a reason for that. One of the aspects of Gnosticism is all about the spiritual realm. That Gnosticism was the spiritual realm is holy, the physical realm is not. The physical realm, you know, touch, me, body, is immoral. It is the spiritual that is holy, and there's immorality in the physical. And that's why they taught in order to protect Jesus that Jesus could not have been human. He had to have been a spirit. Jesus was either a spirit and God or human and not God. And so this conversation about spirits was kind of circulating in uh, Christian circles. And the context of these spirits is the verse that comes right before chapter 4, verse 1. Look at chapter 3, verse 24. This is what we looked at last week at the end. It says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him. And he, in that Christian, we know by this he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Referring, of course, to the abiding work of God's Holy Spirit, the second person of the third person of the Trinity, living inside of a Christian. And so chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. He, he switches and says, just so you know, there are two different realms. There's the, the things that you're going to hear and learn from God's Holy Spirit, and then there are things that you are going to hear and that you are going to learn that are from a different spirit. You can't trust every religious message that comes to you because one message is from the Spirit of God, and one message is rooted in the Spirit of of error, of Satan, of deception. And so the Apostle John is just saying, hey, FYI, <laughs> there's multiple kinds of religious messages that you're going to get. You need to make sure which one is true and which one is false. You need to differentiate which one is valuable and which one is worthless. Now, this issue of Christians deciding what's valuable and what's worthless, like from a religious uh, Christian information, is universal, this isn't just for these Christians here in this particular church or these, this particular era. This is for all of Christians all of time, determining what is from the spirit of truth as opposed to what's from the spirit of error. This is what Timothy, Paul says to Timothy about this idea. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says, that's God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. That's the other side 
the other spiritual side, deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience with a branding iron. Yes, the information that you hear, the doctrines, the religious ideas that you get from the radio, from YouTube, from TikTok, from, from, from a pastor, from your neighbor, from uh, your dad, they, they're all coming at you. And there's a, you just need to know that the sources of all of those aren't all from God's Holy Spirit. That there's another spiritual realm that is the foundation of a lot of error, a lot of lies instead. And so that's the type of people that verse 1 is talking about. It says, Beloved, do not be deceived. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's what, that's what, Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 2, that these people are, are, are so deceived in the lie that they're telling that they, they can look right at the YouTube camera and be sincere, that, that they can believe it with all of their heart. They can, they can tell it to you. They're not trying to deceive you. They're not, they're not trying to lie. They are already confused or lied to themselves. Their heart is already sure that it is true. And so that when they tell it to you, you can't judge based on their sincerity. You can't, you can't tell based on uh, the, the clothes that they're wearing. You can't tell based on the inflection in their voice if they're telling you something from the, the, the spirit of error as opposed to the, the spirit of the truth. You can't tell just by the way they look or the way they, they're convinced that it's true just as much as someone else is convinced that it's wrong. And so it's important for Christians to be able to decide what is it that's true and what is it that's not true. Here's another example of it in Acts. This was a group of people that did this. These are known as the Bereans. You might have heard of the Bereans. But this is what it says here. It says, now, these were more noble-minded. Don't you want to be more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica? For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were true. This is the story of this church. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul shows up with the gospel. And these, these, these people are like, I don't know, I'm not going to listen to you yet, Apostle Paul. I mean, could you imagine the guts to say that? But what they did was they checked everything Paul said against the Bible that they did have. They didn't have all of the collated New Testament like you have. But they had the Old Testament. They had that. And so they checked everything Paul said against the Old Testament. And that's what it means by they're examining the Scriptures daily to see whether the things that Paul said were true. Because they knew that there was a potential that it could be coming not from God's Holy Spirit, but coming from the Spirit of air. And they just wanted to make sure that it was true. And it turns out that in that case, it was coming from God's Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians says this, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Everything we hear, everything we hear is either good or evil. Every single thing. It is either right or it's wrong. It's either true or it's not. Every single thing. And a Christian needs to decide which is valuable 
and which is worthless. And these Christians are novices at this. They don't know what to do about all of this. And so they needed some test. That's what it says in verse 1. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. That word test refers to a metallurgist that is evaluating metals for their purity, for their quality, for their value. Pick any metal you want. Let's just say gold, since we're talking about the gold rush. That when a metallurgist goes to gold and they test it for gold, it is always going to test for gold. Gold tests for gold wherever gold is tested. (laughs) Anywhere around the world, a metallurgist tests for gold, uh, it will test for gold. Because it's gold. It It will always be gold. And so God says to Christians, to these Christians, that you need to be a metallurgist when it comes to the, the, the options that are given to you, religi- the, the religious ideas that are given to you. You need to start to decide, is this gold or is this foolish? Is this right? Is this wrong? Now, this verse, man, this, this verse is... Some people believe that this verse is commanding Christians to personally confront demons. I just want to address that real quick because this is like a big deal on TikTok right now. It's a big deal like on, on, on YouTube right now that these Christians take this exact verse and, and these six verses and they're on YouTube asking these people who are paid to pretend that they're demon-possessed and they're asking them the test questions that I'm going to share with you today. So when it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. What some people believe this means is this is telling Christians that they have to perform exorcisms and ask the the demons inside of these people these questions that I'm going to give you. And so on YouTube, you have all of these Christians who are doing that. Now, the internet is so great. I love the internet, you know. So you have some, a video of someone who's doing this purportedly. And, and so then what the internet can do is the internet quickly finds out, oh, the person that's pre- pretending to be the person being excised in that video, oh, we found them on another person's video uh, from a year ago pretending to be excised over there too. Because it's all just fake. It, it, it's all not a real thing. But they do this all in the name of 1 John 4, verse 1. I'm just testing the spirits. That's all I'm doing. But the Bible doesn't tell Christians to ever get into those kind of shenanigans at all. That's not what this is about at all. This is simply telling Christians to constantly evaluate what they see, what they read, what they hear, and to determine whether it originated from God's Holy Spirit or whether it originated from the spirit of error, from from Satan's groundworking spirit. Now, the people that are are saying things or or doing things that are lies, like I said, they are so convinced that it's true that you just can't base it on their convincedness, on their passion, because they're convinced that it's true. The only way to test whether something that, that... you hear 
from a Christian point of view, from, from a religious point of view, the only way to test whether it's right or not is to compare it to God's complete word of God that we already have written down. That is the comparison. And so it talks about these many false prophets who have gone out into the world. Satan, Satan's goal isn't just to give you a hard time, you know, make, give you a bad day. That's not his goal. Oh, well, so, Satan got me today. I had to park way out in the back 40 at the mall today. I didn't get an up-close spot. When it's an up-close spot, I praise Jesus. He answered my prayer, but today Satan got me. <laughs> Satan's goal is not to give Christians a bad day. The goal of Satan is to deceive Christians. That's the goal. And his minions are everywhere trying to infiltrate, and they have. They infiltrate into Christian schools. Uh, they infiltrate into Christian colleges. They infiltrate into other Christian nonprofit organizations. The, Satan's minions infiltrate into churches, into denominations, and those churches and denominations and those Christian ministries are compromised because they have been deceived. And the easiest way to be deceived is by just taking everything that you get from Christian radio and YouTube and your friends and the books and, and everything that you get all at face value, as opposed to examining everything carefully. The, the, the ones who are the most gullible are the ones who are the easiest to deceive. That's the point. John's like, do not be gullible. Don't be a gullible Christian. It, it, is, it is important for you as a Christian to filter what is valuable versus what is foolishness. And so we get to the three tests here. And the, the first test that John gives here, the test of authenticity, is this person in fellowship with God? Are they, are they a believer in God? Is the message that they have legitimate? The first test is about Jesus. Of course it is, because we're at church. And so it has to be Jesus. Look at verse 2 of 1 John 4. It says, By this we know, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and, and now it is already in the world. So the first test question is, what does this person believe about Jesus. What does this person believe about Jesus? Now, John, who wrote what we are reading here, he has already written the gospel of John. And in the gospel of John, he introduces who Jesus is. So there's no question of who Jesus is. So I have it up here on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. But this is the same author, just in a different place in the Bible. And this is what John says about who Jesus is. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is another phrase, like almost a euphemism for Jesus Christ. Notice that W is capitalized. I didn't add that later. That's the way it is in your Bible too. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. Now that's saying something. That's saying something to the Gnostics already, that Jesus was not created. That whenever the beginning was, whatever day you want to say was the beginning, Jesus was already there. If you say that if that was at creation, beginning of creation, then Jesus was already there. If that was at the beginning when you were born, Jesus was already there. 
Whatever beginning you say is the beginning, Jesus was already there, meaning he is pre-existent. He is eternal in the past. He has always existed. So Jesus is pre-existent, not created, not a created spirit, but it has always existed. Now that's saying something, but there's still more. And the Word was with God. So this Word, this Jesus, is a different entity than God, and yet it says, and the Word was God. So Jesus was there at the beginning, whenever the beginning was, he has always existed, and he is not God the Father, but he is God. And so they're together. This means that God the Father doesn't like morph and change into Jesus at some point in time, then has to shift back real quick or do something, then comes back. That we have a singular God that is in three persons. You have God the Father, and now we have the Word. We have Jesus Christ, who is also divinity. He's also divine, not a subcategory of God the Father. He is equally God, just a different person. And it says, now all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Did you know that Jesus Christ was a part of creating the world, the universe, uh, everything that is in it? Jesus was a part of creation because, of course, he was there at the beginning. And then, of course, it speaks to who he is as a Savior. In him was life as opposed to eternal death, but life, and the life was the light of men. This is who Jesus is. And so that's the the question that John says now in 1 John 4, verse 2 and 3. Who is Jesus? Because you can't honor God the Father without honoring Jesus Christ as divine too. And that's exactly what the Gnostics were doing. They'd say, oh yeah, we love God. God, absolutely God. But then they were teaching that Jesus was not who the apostles and Jesus Christ himself said that he was. And so if someone connects with God, like you would connect with God that he is divine divinity, he's the ultimate supreme authority, creator of the world, preexistent, all of those things. But they don't say the same thing about Jesus Christ, they are not in fellowship with God. No matter what else they say, they might have a lot of other great doctrines. They are not in fellowship with God because you cannot glorify or deify God the Father and and not do the same thing to Jesus Christ. So a person's acceptance that Jesus Christ is God, that, that is an aspect to determining whether their message is legitimate, whether they are in fellowship with God. The... People, it's only, people who, only the people who are believers are the ones who believe that Jesus Christ is God. Now, what's interesting about this, Jesus even says the same thing. He says, he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Yeah, of course. If you reject Jesus as God, you're saying God is wrong in what he says in his Bible about who Jesus is. And so Jesus says, you can't love God the Father, but reject who Jesus Christ is in that message. That's exactly right. And so the test is, what does this person say about who Jesus is? Now, what's interesting about this, this is not like the defining factor. This is not the only filter. You think, well, this would be the only filter. But, but you can mentally assent to, to the fact that Jesus is God and not ever be saved. 
You never put your faith in him, never put your trust in him, never, never wanted something. You can mentally ascend. Now, I don't know why in the world you would do that. I don't know what the purpose in it is in that, but that's possible. So that's why this isn't the only determining factor, but this is the first one of who does this person say that Jesus is? Okay? The second test is about God's Holy Spirit. The, sec- the third person of the Trinity. Look back at your Bibles in 1 John 4, verse 4. It says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So the second test question is, does this person show evidence of God's Holy Spirit living inside of them. That is one way for you to know if another person is in fellowship with God, do they have evidence of God's Holy Spirit living in them? That's one way to evaluate for yourself. Do you have evidence external? Can other people see? Do you know this about yourself? Do you have evidence of God's Holy Spirit working in you? That's what verse 4 is talking about. It says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and lives inside of every believer. And he's actually the one that cleans you out. That's what Romans says. Look at Romans 8 up on the screen here. This is like the, kind of like the process of salvation. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, so this is referring to God's Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, if he dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Yeah, God's Holy Spirit, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's a, that's a wonderful part of the story. Jesus being the second person of the Trinity, God in all of his glory, infinite glory, comes to planet earth, does not dispense himself of his godliness, but dispenses himself of the heavenly glory. He is, lives perfectly, never sins one time. So when he dies on the cross, he's dying for our, he is paying for our sin, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is God's gift to humanity. He is perfect, dying on the cross for us. And that's a good thing because the Bible says we've all sinned. The Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We're not quite like glorious as God. We've all, we've all done something that we shouldn't have done. Even me, even you, we can all admit it, we've not all been perfect. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that people are dead in their trespasses, meaning that there is an eternity that every person pays because of their sin. The wages of sin is death. Dead in our trespasses. Because our sin must be paid for. And so when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, he's paying for sin. So that there is an opportunity for every person in this room, every person on planet Earth for all of time, that they don't have to pay eternally for their own sin, that they can trust Jesus, that they accept his salvation, and when they allow Jesus to be their savior, the sins are already paid for, they're already removed. And so that's why Jesus can bring life instead of death. That's why Jesus is the word of life. Because he offers that. But that's not the end of the story right there. 
What happens is when you put your faith in Jesus immediately, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of a a Christian. And he is the one really who gives life to our mortal bodies. He is the one that is going to take our soul to heaven when we die. God's Holy Spirit is an aspect of salvation. No one can be saved and going to heaven and not have God's Holy Spirit. If you do not have God's Holy Spirit, you are not going to heaven. If you are going to heaven, you do have God's Holy Spirit. And so the math is then, every person who is in fellowship with God, who is a believer, is going to have God's Holy Spirit. And so then, does that person show the evidence of God's Holy Spirit? Now, how would you know what the evidence of God's Holy Spirit is? How would you know? How, we, how do we know? Like, we could guess, you know, well, I mean, they wear a tie to church, and I'm wearing flip-flops, so... It could be by the halo that they wear. It could be the little fish sticker emblem on the back of their car. It could be the Christian t-shirt. How do you know if someone is a Christian or not? How do you know if they have God's Holy Spirit living in them? What are the evidences? The good thing is you don't have to guess. You don't have to guess at all. Here it is. Here's the list. This is what you look for. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the result of God's Holy Spirit living inside of a person is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the things that a person would look for to know if they are saved or not. You don't have to wonder. These things are external that you can notice and that you can see. Now, here's not the way to use this. Here's often how it's used, but you, do, you can't use it like this. You can say, oh, well, of course that person isn't saved because they are not as kind as my great-grandma, who's the kindest person who has ever existed. And, of course, they're not as kind as my great-grandma, so they're definitely not saved. That's not how this operates. The, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of a person who has been sinful their entire life, and he begins to clean up their lives. It's called sanctification for the rest of their life. They sin less and less and less and less over their entire life. And so this isn't like on day one, if that person isn't as kind as your great-grandma who spent 50 years with Jesus, then they're not saved. That's not how it, how it works. God's Holy Spirit works slowly over time, cleaning a person up. Depending on how hard-headed and hard-hearted we are, it could take a long time. But here's how you could know. If that person used to be completely angry at volatile at certain situations, and 10 years later, they don't blow up at the same things they used to blow up at, there's a potential that they have God's Holy Spirit living inside of them. This is how you could, you could evaluate this in your own life too. Do, do you have peace to, to, to just rest in, in things that are very difficult? Things are swirling around you, you either lose your job or you get a bad medical diagnosis that you were not looking for or, or someone in your life goes to heaven earlier than expected. Do you have more peace in those times now than you used to? And if so... That would be a confirming thing of, yes, maybe God's Holy Spirit actually is living inside of you. That also goes the other way, too. 
if someone has absolutely no self-control 10 years ago, you know, and no patience, just whatever was on their mouth just flew out of their mouth, and it's, and it's even worse today, then the, it's possible that God's Holy Spirit is not inside of them and they're not a Christian because they're not showing the results of God's Holy Spirit inside of them. And so that's why this is one of the tests because you can see it. You can evaluate it. You can notice it. You don't, you, how do you know that God's Holy Spirit is living inside of somebody? Well, you can't just take their word for it because remember, you're trying to filter this. You're trying to decide, is, are they in fellowship with God? Is their message true? Is it from God's Spirit or from the Spirit of air? Which one is it? How do I know wh- how you are in relationship to God? I can look. I can see. It's not about what they say. It's about what you notice. And so the first test, of course, is about Jesus. Of course it is, because it's the Bible, and it's always about Jesus first. But that's not the determining factor, because some people can say a lot of things about Jesus and it not really be true. The way that you would know what's true is you see the evidence of their genuine salvation through the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. You see it in their life. Now, the third test is about agreement. The third test is about agreement. Look back in your Bibles at 1 John 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So here's the third test question. Does this person agree with what John and the other apostles have already communicated to them? Does does this person, does this message, do they and their life agree with what John has already written, what the apostles have already communicated to them? And if not, it's new and it's not true. This is a theme of 1 John. You probably haven't seen it so far, but I'll highlight the theme now that we're there. Look at 1 John 1, verses 1 to 3. So go back just probably one page. This theme of John has already communicated it to you, so abide in what John has already communicated is pervasive in 1 John. Stick with what you know from the beginning. Okay? Look at 1 John 1, 1. It says, What was from the beginning... What we have heard and what we've seen with our eyes and what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. That is the word that gives life. He, that's who he is. And he's just saying, hey, everything from the beginning, everything that I've seen, everything that I've experienced with Jesus, John was with Jesus for a, a lot of his ministry. Verse 2, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you. All right. Am I back? Sweet. I'm going to read it again. So, you know, verse 2. And the life was manifested that we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us that we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also 
This is the point, that John has seen it, he has heard it, he knows it, and now he's passed it on to you. Now go to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 24. Because I have seen it and I have passed it on to you, chapter 2, verse 24, as for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. From the beginning of what? Well, from the beginning of Christianity, but more likely for these people, from the beginning of when they heard the gospel, from the beginning of their salvation. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and the Father. If you pay attention to what you heard from me at the beginning, if, if that's how you got saved was from my message, then you genuinely are in fellowship with God and Jesus Christ. Abide in that. Stay in that. Don't pay attention to everything else. Stay right with that. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. You didn't know this was all over the place, did you? Look at verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, from the start of the proclamation of the gospel, from the beginning of your salvation, from the beginning of when you heard this. And they already had a lot of things right. They, they knew the truth about the gospel. They knew the truth about who Jesus Christ was. They, they, knew, they knew about the, their own sinfulness and their need of salvation. They knew about salvation. They knew about the, the righteous life of being obedient once you have God's Holy Spirit. They knew all of these things. And so what John is saying is, is do these people, does this message agree with what has already been taught to you? Does it? If so, then it's from the spirit of truth. And if not, it's new and it's not true. It is from the spirit of error. If it's new, it's not true. If it's something different than what has already been proclaimed to you, and the application for us today is we now have the finished, complete, canonized scripture. If there is something that does, is new to this, it's not true. This is what the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Those people who believe the entire word of God's word is true, those people can be believed. But many Christians, I would say most Christians, they believe most of the Bible. There's a few places that they don't agree with in the Bible, but they agree with most of it. But that's dangerous because you only need a little bit of poison. You don't need all the poison, you just need a little bit. And so those people who do not believe that God's word is the source of truth, even in just a little area, even, the rest, even if the rest of their theology or doctrine is good, if there's an area where... where where they're talking something new and weird and different, then you just, you just can't trust the rest of it because you just don't know now what they really are believing. So here are the tests. It's about Jesus. What does this person believe about Jesus? Is he God? Do they have evidence? Can you see God's Holy Spirit in them? Do they agree with every? Does their life agree? Does living their life agree with what the rest of the Bible says? Notice here, though, what some of the tests are not. Here, here are not the tests. Did they vote for the same candidate that I voted for? That's not the test. What type of, do they listen to the same type of music 
that I listen to. I mean, we all know what happens when you listen to country music, so you better not listen to that, but <laughs> anything else. The test is not, do they discipline their kids like I discipline my kids? The test is not, do they do ministry like I do it, and if they don't do it like me, then they are definitely not a Christian. No, that's not one of the tests. Oh, they said something that I disagree. Some, man, we, sometimes we can call someone a heretic because there's some little corner, some little dark corner of, uh, of the Bible that is de- definitely a gray area, and someone would disagree with, with someone, and immediately they're written off as a heretic. We don't call someone a heretic just because they drink Starbucks coffee instead of Christ, Christian coffee, whatever that is. <laughs> Obviously, it's Dunkin' Donuts, I guess. So th- that's not how this is applied. But now, now we can't apply this, though. What about those people that you watch on YouTube or you have followed on Instagram or on TikTok or... Um, or that you listen to on Christian radio. This is where it's so hard because how do you know? You know, yes, you know them for 30 seconds long. You know them for five minutes. You know them for a 15-minute something on YouTube. That's how long you know them for. But if you're trying to evaluate if they have the the the, the the Holy Spirit living inside of them, how are you going to know that? I mean, for the 15 minutes, anybody can fake it for 15 minutes. You don't know as soon as they edit that video down. You don't know if they're cussing at people all the way home. You don't know who they are. You only know them through a little window that is you know, the size of your phone. That's how well you know them. And so it would be really important for any Christian to take anything from any of those sources, the radio, YouTube, um, social media in general, and I just make a really thick filter. You know? like, it, there's so much good teaching from people that you can know that do you really need to just get wrapped up in all the stuff that you don't even know who those people are. Because you just don't know if their message is legitimate or not because of you don't know who they really are, what they really think about Jesus, the evidence of God's Holy Spirit in their life. Now, of course, First John, <laughs> they wouldn't even know what the word Instagram or YouTube or TikTok even meant. That's not the application, obviously, here. The application here is know the people that are teaching, that are saying religious things to you. Know them. Know, know who they are. They're going to affect your life. Like, what about the person that you want to date? What do they think about Jesus? Check this. If there's someone that you want to date, do they love Jesus more than you? And if they do, the possibility is that they really are saved. But if they don't love Jesus more than you, and you know it pretty quick, if they don't love Jesus more than you, the possibility is they aren't even saved. And as a Christian, you don't even need to worry about spending time with them. That, that's how this can be applied. What about the person that you want to marry? You want to, you want to get married to them and spend your life with them? These, these are great tests. Do they show evidence of God's Holy Spirit inside of them? Do they, do they show a kindness to the 
to the person that is serving you at a restaurant? Or are they just up, up, just straight up rude to them? I mean, after all, I'm paying them. See, all of those little things are little cues to you about that person that you want to marry. Are they really saved? They might look good, <laughs> but are they really saved? What about the people who are our closest friends. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so I won't belabor the topic, but we talked about how Christians, their closest circle, their inner circle of friends, they need to be believers. And so have you evaluated your own friends? Do, do, you, do you know what your friends really think about Jesus? Do, do they exemplify aspects of God's Holy Spirit changing them over the years? If they're the, your best friends, probably you've been friends with them for a really long time. So, you probably know. Is their life like in agreement with the other things in Scripture or are they always saying, yeah, well, I'm a stupid Bible stuff? If, if that's the case, then that person, I'm not, you know, you don't need to kick that person to the curb and never see him again, but it's possible that someone might need to be removed from your inner closest circle of friends and be removed to a little bit further away to more of an acquaintance style so that they are impacting you with bombarding you with things that are from error. And, and so you might have to bring someone else in to your inner circle. I mean, there, there's a room full of people right here who would love to be a part of your inner circle. We have a whole first service too. We have another 150 of first service. They would love to be a part of your inner circle. And so that's why we do the things we do here in like our Barnabas groups. That's ways to get to know people. Begin to build friendships that could extend longer than just the 10 months that we do Barnabas groups. That's why we have our men's small groups and our women's small groups here at Grace. So that you begin to get to know other men or other women in a close, bonded way that over time they can become your inner circle, that then it might actually, yeah, remove some of those people who are closest to you to, to one or two layers further out so that they're not impacting you, but you are circled with people who are closest to you. What about your closest friends? Is, are their lives reflective of what is written by John and the rest of the apostles in the Bible? So those are the way to apply the test, but I think the best way to apply this test is to ourselves. That's probably the best way to apply this. What, 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 about, what do I think about Jesus? Do I just mentally assent that Jesus is God, or do I, do I have my faith in Christ? Do, do I show evidence of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness? Do I show, do, is there evidence? I mean, you can fake it to me. I, you lie to me all you want. I don't care. Fake it to me. Great. Love it. But you can't lie to yourself. Do you see you changing in those areas or not? I mean, you can self-evaluate. Does your life like live in agreement to what has been written in God's word or not? And if it's or not, then fine. Today you've realized that you are not a believer. You don't have eternal life. That's good in the sense that you're still alive because the Bible says once, once you die, you are sealed in the decision that you make today. And so God has given you a gift to know about who Jesus is, the, the saving from your sins and removing all those things that separate you from God. 
You could put your faith and trust in Jesus today if you put yourself through these tests and you fail a test. Hey, you could ace the test 10 minutes from now. If you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm going to at least give you the opportunity to consider these things. So I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes? Just create a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. I know you want to look around, but nothing's happening. <laughs> it's just me. You've been staring at me for 50 minutes. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes, that at least gives the person next to you a chance to consider these eternal things. And, and if you need your sins forgiven, if you want to have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you know that you have life in your future in heaven after you die, you don't have to pay for your own sins, these are things that you deal with God with. You don't deal with me. And so you just talk to God about them. You don't talk to me about them. This is called prayer. You don't, need to, you don't need to say anything out loud. God can read your mind. He knows what's on your heart. So the quietness of, of this moment, you can talk to God about what you believe about who Jesus is and his salvation that comes. And if you're not sure what to say, I could help you. This is what you could say. You could say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know I've done things I shouldn't have done. I know I've thought things I shouldn't have thought. And I realize that there is an eternal payment in hell to pay for that. And I realize that I need a Savior. I need to be saved from that. And I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave. I believe that, that his payment on the cross was paying for my sin. I put my trust, I put my belief, I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus, and I need God's Holy Spirit to clean me up. And with your heads still bowed and your eyes still closed, that is immediately what does happen. That God, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, does come and live inside of you. He does come to help you live a life that is honoring to Him. God, I thank you for this. I thank you for your provision for us personally in this that you've told us enough about your son and salvation that we could be saved and that we can identify how we can be in fellowship with you. And God, I, I pray that, um, that you would help our church to maintain our, um, our sympathy with the truth, our sympathy with the gospel of your word. Um, you have allowed our church to be that all of these years, and I pray that as your Holy Spirit um, indwells the Christians in this church that you would help us to maintain our love for uh, the, the truth of your Bible. And we thank you for what, is, what it has done for us so far, and we thank you for what it will do for us in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.